box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Willem van Danderen for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. And this week uh, we are going to go, well at least I am, going to go back in a bit of a time capsule uh, having uh, dug up a very interesting game to me at least um, during the course of uh, our preparations for the uh, the Franz Beckenbauer tribute earlier in the week. So, well first of all a hello to you Willem over there in the Netherlands. How are you mate? G'day, Rob. Hello from, yeah, snowy Amsterdam, which is novel for someone who's grown up in Melbourne. And while it is somewhat interesting, it is freezing. So I'm more than happy to be sitting on this side of the window and looking at it and talking to you blokes about some football. No snow in heels, will Derek? No, none that I can see so far. It's such a beautiful day here. It is. It is in Melbourne. Well, I'm looking out from downtown um, Hawthorne East in Melbourne, and it is a gorgeous day. So wherever you are around Australia, around the world, we hope you're doing well. Um, Derek, um, You've chosen an A-League match, um, your your team. I, I guess it, it makes sense for your game of the week. Yeah, obviously I'm a fan number one at Western United, guys. So clearly I follow them very, very closely. And they had this thrilling three-all draw against, I suppose, the other recently inducted A-League team away at MacArthur. And uh, it was a great way to kick off the United round. Ben Garuccio got the uh, Western United off to the perfect start with a goal inside the first couple of minutes. Uh, but Ulysses de Villa struck either side of half-time to put MacArthur back in, in the lead. Um, I think West United reacted well. They dominated and they broke through to equalise with Daniel Pena. And uh, the Brazilian went on to score the goal of the match. I mean, there was a few great goals. The, the opening goal for um, MacArthur was also excellent. But his stunning second goal put United in front. And it looked like that they'd got the chocolates until uh, de Villa uh, completed his hat trick uh, in the 90th minute. So, on a split uh, in this game, um, you know, notable things about this game, as I mentioned before, it was the the United round. It was his first ever one with every team, men and women, uh, playing in a special round across Sydney. Uh, Willem, I just wondered uh, how you rated the rig on uh, Daniel Pena. It's quite a sight, isn't it? Yeah, he is. No, he's uh, he's impressive uh, on the ball and, and with the kid off as well, Derek. They look okay going forward, but some of the goals they've conceded this season have just been appalling. Um, and if Johnny A is to go within the next month or so, he really can have no complaints given he just hasn't been able to rectify what's been just a, a screaming issue. Um, the, the marking from corners, they've gone with an old school zonal defence at times, Derek, which just has not worked and he's, he's stuck to it pretty uh, pretty consistently. So they're nowhere Western United at the foot of the table and they've been involved in a, a few of these thrillers and I'm going to talk about Perth next who are uh, a second bottom. They've also been involved in a number of high-scoring games but defensively you've got to tighten up and Western United, as I say, are, are really just nowhere. Yeah, one of the goals to the Mexican De Villa definitely it was definitely avoidable. It was a bit bit calamitous, a bit clown car defending there at the back. They'll, they'll, they'll want to do better I suppose the other notable thing, Willem, is uh, Josh Risden led out the team for his 250th A-League men appearance. That is a great achievement um, for, him, for Josh, I would say. 
No, fantastic player, primarily with Perth Glory, then to the Wanderers, and then has been an inaugural player and a leader at Western United. And a World Cup socceroo as well, Derek, was entrusted at right back by Bert Van Marwijk in 2018 when Bert came in pretty late and didn't really have a lot to work with and got the absolute best out of um, out of Josh and out of Andrew Naboot at that World Cup as well. Well, then why don't you jump in and, um, and segue directly to that game you referred to, mate? So the glory in my game of the week last week, and they returned this time against Wellington. They lost out uh, 4-3, and I'm not sure Alan Stachich would be happy uh, that I continue to select them in the games of the week because no manager likes to see that many fly in uh, to the defensive onion bag. They went up the glory through Adam Taggart, a great header, his eighth goal of the season. I will always bang the drum uh, for Adam. That was then cancelled out by Costa Barbarousas, who at 33 has been a genuine stalwart of the competition and is moving up towards the the sort of top 20, top 15 of the NSL A-League all-time goal scorers uh, list. So we'll continue to watch that over the, the next coming or coming couple of seasons, having a real sort of uh, Indian summer. You'd expect to see those guys on the score sheet, Rob, uh, but you wouldn't expect to see the next few blokes who joined them. Alexander Sujnia, who scored a bomb from outside the box in the wet. That was his fourth goal in 58 games in the league. Alex Rufa for the Phoenix, his third in 134 matches. Tim Payne, his second goal in 108. And then Jared Carluccio scored a very nice goal as well. Uh, he's only 22, so the record doesn't really stand to uh, to make the point with him. But it was uh, it was brilliant as well. Uh, Barbarousas, though, his second uh, did wrap up the points. So to the glory, after 12 played, they sit 11th. They've scored 21 goals. Wellington are top. They've scored 22. Uh, so the glory just not getting their uh, their value uh, in attack, given the uh, the, the poorest defence that uh, Alan Stadjic is, is running with at the moment. So Stadge, tighten things up, my friend. He's on thin ice himself, isn't he? I mean, speaking of uh, managers that, uh, that that might not be long for this competition, uh, if he doesn't get it sorted, uh, and it'd be sad to see him go after uh, doing so well with the Philippines, you know, in the Women's World Cup. But, you know, what can you say? I mean, uh, uh, Wellington just uh, are going from strength to strength and, you know, that distance derby is just one of the toughest um, yep. competitions in the world, isn't it? And uh, and and even when you're informed to, to travel all that way and and still get the result in in what's a feeding of ding dong battle like that, um, when the home side scoring goals and up and about, uh, um, you, you just got to give credit where it's due to Italiano and his mob. That's been maybe we haven't discussed it enough, and we did. You had Jason Pine on some weeks ago to discuss. Italiano at the outset of his reign, but that's been one of the top, probably maybe the top three stories of the season. Uh, a relatively unknown coach to Australia, you know, very successful in, in New Zealand, but yeah, for him to be leading the competition over halfway through, uh, that has been one of the stories thus far. I think Stadjic will have a little bit more time. I think Aloisi obviously has been there longer at Western United, so he's really feeling the heat championship coach, but things aren't turning around there. I think Stajic in his first season there, having, remember, laid the platform for, for Nick Montgomery at the Mariners as well in his first season. Uh, I think I think he's got a little bit more time uh, up his sleeve, Rob. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. I hope he does, uh, given all the drama that they've had. All right, well, I'm going to, uh, like I said, off the uh, the top of the show, uh, dust off the... Uh, the, 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 uh... the vault? Well, that's exactly what the, the reference that I have in my sort of little preparatory notes here. So, you know, the last time we did go into the vault was, well, in the middle of COVID, Willem, wasn't it? You, you created what I've described here as the much-loved and sorely missed vault. Is that a fair assessment of uh, of the vault, do you think? The, the hard yakka and easily forgotten vault, I think. 
No, I don't think so. But uh, look, as I said, I was preparing for the Frowns Beckenbauer tribute in the in the main show earlier in the week, and I came across this 1975 European Cup final. Now, the way I came across it was uh, I was reading an article in the Sydney Morning Herald about Beckenbauer coming with the New York Cosmos to Sydney and reading the comments afterwards. And in the comments afterwards, I read a comment from an Australian-based Leeds fan who said he loved Beckenbauer, but the 1975 European Cup final uh, spoiled his his uh, reputation for him. And uh, it just got me down a little wormhole. And the, the people who know of this 1975 European Cup final will be saying they, they know all about it, most likely our older listeners. But the ones who don't, I'll encourage you to do a bit of reading and finding some uh, some uh, more about this on YouTube. So it was uh, uh, obviously between Leeds and Bayern Munich at the time. So just have a listen to this clip. So the first and the last German voices you'll hear are Beckenbauer himself. So it's overlaid with an English interpretation. But the voice in the middle, and you've got to focus on this, is his teammate, Rainer Zobel. Beckenbauer appeared to bring down lead striker Alan Clark. Penalty claims were refused. They were an experienced team. The same had happened to us before. If the referee doesn't award it, you just carry on playing and it's not a penalty. The second half brought more controversy and more luck for the defending champions. Peter Lorimer thought he had put the English side ahead. Leeds United scored a goal, which the referee disallowed for offside. It was a goal. It wasn't offside. But that often happens in football. You can't look back. You can be angry about it. You can be disappointed. But you can't let it affect you forever. If the referee says it's not a goal, then I can't tell him it was. It wasn't a goal, and that's that. So in the end, Bayern are recorded as winners on the score sheet 2-0. But if you ask supporters, as you can tell from that clip of Don Revy's team, who were in their the final days of their heyday, uh, then known as the Peacocks, uh, the Whites, of course, is their nickname now, but the Peacocks back then, they are the rightful champions of Europe from that year. Now, I found this article from 2020, mind you, 45 years later in the Yorkshire Post. To listen to the Ellen Road crowd now, you would think they were we are the champions, we are the champions of Europe. They still sing from time to time. It is not out of an ignorance of history, but an acknowledgement of it as our clip and the background to the story we've discussed so far. So it, it was, as you can tell already, it was a game absolutely chock-a-block full of controversy. And it also came off the back of Leeds' loss in the 1973 Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, the investigation into the uh, referee after that match uh, indicated that he'd taken bribes from AC Milan to... to uh, uh, to favour them throughout the game. And, and that disallowed goal that you, you heard in the clip uh, by Peter Lorimer was was one where, uh, get this, and this is why that, uh, that Leeds fan would be well and truly pissed off still to this day. So the referee initially pointed to the setter circle to indicate a goal, of course, but Beckenbauer convinced him to consult with the linesman who had run back to the halfway line and had not raised his flag. After... The referee then indicated offside. The decision caused riots to break out. People realised they were being cheated, in quotes, in the Yorkshire Times article. And to, to wrap up, uh, the local newspapers probably for the very first time called the English fans Les Animaux Anglais, or the English Animals. This match was, of course, played in Paris, and Leeds were banned for four years from European football, which was subsequently 
be halved on appeal. But uh, Derek, um, did you were you aware of this game? Um, and and is it the sort of thing that that makes you think? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind sort of doing a bit of a, a, a wormhole sort of investigation in, into YouTube myself to familiarise yourself with it. Uh, no, but I wasn't aware uh, of of the game. Uh, I, I was aware that Leeds had missed out on the on the European Cup, but I wasn't I wasn't certain of the of the circumstances. So that's all new to me. I suppose what Franz would say also, if he was still here today, and it's something we picked up in the interview earlier in the week, is just you know you get you get luck and you you lose luck at times in football, and of course. Mm. Beckenbauer was, you know, in 1966 uh, with a goal that shouldn't have stood against England in the yes. World Cup final, yes. and and uh, you know he was on the pitch, and and he would rightly say that they were denied um, denied the title there as well, or the opportunity to win it. So, yeah, I, I think it, you know, it's when, when it's only been your one foray into this environment for Leeds, I suppose. Then of course it will always leave a sour taste. But I think Franz would say, what well, you know, easy come, easy go. That's certainly what he seemed to indicate. If you watch that YouTube clip where he was uh, uh, quoted, he he looked like he was absolutely convinced. Unlike his uh, his mate and and a man who played uh, uh, nearly two hundred games for Bayern himself, Rainer Obel, and uh, and, a, and a member of the Mannschaft. All right. Well, uh, that's my. Um, did I uh, do justice to the Volkwillem? No, you most certainly did. I was just thinking as uh, as you run through it that there might be a, a semi-regular spot for, for something like this to return in stoppage time. I think that's probably the spot for it. I think, uh, yeah, when we were just doing the main show, it just there was so much, well, there still is so much football to get through each week. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, you'll, I'll have to crack open the, the YouTube wormhole, Rob, so that was good. Good on you. All right, well, let's get on to the teams of the week. Um, uh, Hong Kong, how did you pick them? I picked them because I watched them at the Asian Cup and they were – Brilliant. They didn't win their uh, their opening match against the UAE, but were good value for their 3-1 loss, if that sentence makes uh, any sense. Two of the goals conceded were penalties, the third in the 95th minute, so they were well and truly sniffing around for, for an equaliser late on. But it should be said they did have a little bit of VAR luck uh, go their way as well throughout the course of the match, so the rub of the green was probably fair. Here you go, Rob. Bit of uh, history, uh, a history lesson. Hong Kong hosted... The first Asian Cup in 1956 and scored the tournament's first ever goal through Or Chi Yin. He scored a double that day against Israel. Uh, they then featured at two of the next three tournaments. So they were, you know, mainstays at that point, but then didn't play at the finals again until Sunday, 56 years on. And that re-entrance was perfectly timed because their goal through Siu Quan Chan was the tournament's 1,000th of all time. So they led by Norwegian manager, pretty aggressively by Norwegian manager, Jorn Andersen, who cleared the decks and had all four strikers on the pitch as they chased an equaliser uh, late on against the UAE. So as I said, they didn't win, but and they next play Iran on Friday. So that's a very tough clash. Uh, but they are alive in this tournament, I think, given that four third-placed finishes go through. So, yeah, right behind uh, Hong Kong, who were, were very good uh, despite the loss to the UAE. Yeah, well, we always love a minnow in these big competitions, so go Hong Kong. Uh, Coventry City, um, I've got a mate of mine who is a mad, passionate Coventry City fan, and uh, just to give him the shits from time to time, I, uh, I do pronounce them Coventry, which he hates. But, Derek, um, they're doing well in the championship. Yeah, that's right, Rob. Uh, Coventry City had a big Midlands derby over the weekend. They were playing much-fancied Leicester City, who, of course, sitting astride of the championship. Uh, but uh, two goals from Callum O'Hare uh, helped Coventry to come back and stun the leaders uh, at the Coventry Stadium. It was a 
sensational late turnaround. Leicester were down to 10 men, but it was O'Hare who cancelled out uh, Dewsbury Hall's uh, controversial penalty um, with a 79th minute equaliser. Milan Van Ewick then fired the uh, Sky Blues in front on the 87th minute. And then O'Hare wrapped up the three points with a second in injury time. We don't talk a lot about Coventry City uh, during uh, this show. Uh, they're, of course, founder members of the Premier League back in 1993. Uh, they were relegated in 2001, and they have had a very, very long stay uh, in the championship. They haven't returned. They they haven't even looked like returning. Uh, I'm pretty certain that, you know, playoff uh, or even title runs have been few and far between in those 23 years. But 29, nearly 30,000 people crammed into that ground, which they still don't own, of course, it was owned by London Wasps, who demised in the rugby uh, in England. It's now owned by another company, and it's uh, rented out by Coventry. But the uh, Coventry faithful uh, turned out in force there, and well, they'll stay in the playoff places. They are now uh, sick there, and they've now got a unbeaten league and cut run of nine games, and at the same time handing Leicester only the fourth defeat of the season, and it ended at uh, Fox, the Foxes' uh, 10-game uh, unbeaten run. Uh, this was made even better by the fact that Sky Blues had only won once in 18 meetings with Leicester uh, City. You have to go all the way back to the days of Chris Coleman as the Coventry boss back in February uh, 2000. Coventry now are on the road. They go to Hillsborough to play Sheffield Wednesday and then they uh, go back there to face the same opposition in the fourth round of the FA Cup. So cause for optimism at Coventry City and those fans are a bit long starved it has to be said. Of course Derek the sole Australian to this point to play for Coventry City is the man that you so adore out at Tarnit, Johnny A. John Aloisi yeah absolutely. I'm going to make my contributions briefly on on Hot Topic uh, and uh, and Team of the Week at the same time. I know you you talked about uh, Michelle Heyman in uh, in the main show um, and justifiably so uh, that uh, at 35 years old, 61 Matildas caps, World Cups, Olympics in her career, um, she'll be remembered for the moment where she scored her hundredth goal in the A League Women's Competition, formerly the W League or the Dub, as the uh, the A- W League women's fans uh, love it. Uh, it was three one win uh, over Adelaide who are anchoring the table at Leichhardt Oval but sadly as, as I sort of cross over into my hot topic as Mike Tuckerman wrote in the Raw it was one of the best moments in the inaugural Unite round which you referred to at the top of this show Derek but it took place in front of just over a thousand fans and most of those uh, watching uh, on TV at home would have been watching a different game because uh, there were crossovers uh, across the board now um, Nick Garcia the A-League's commissioner said in the lead-up to Unite Round that tickets were selling strongly and predicted upwards of 42,000 to, to visitors to Sydney. So that's visitors apart from the Sydney siders for the three-day event. So in the end, only 47,425 fans attended the 12 games in total. Um, so, you know, as Tuckerman wrote, it doesn't mean the whole thing's a bust. But, uh, you know, when you put it on, you've got to be careful uh, and, and make sure you're prepared. Okay, there was a lot of rain in Sydney, but the live side at the entertainment quarter at Moore Park, there was some technical issues. So the TV was stuck on the Big Bash. 
Uh, they couldn't uh, turn over to the Socceroos match in the Asian Cup. It's just farcical stuff, really, isn't it? And when the fans went into the bars to try and get the TV changed over, most of the staff didn't even know the, comp- the Socceroos were playing. So, yeah. you know, you, you've got to do your prep. And we've handed out a lot of credit to the A-Leagues um, uh, it, it, where it's due, but where the Brickbats are deserved, um, they've got to cop them, and, um, and this is one of them for me. Yeah, Nick Garcia has been uh, out on Media Street again post Unite Round trumpeting it as a success through uh, through through Joey Lynch. Um, oh, it's it's look, it's halfway there. It's it's a really good idea, but we can't compare codes, Rob. We know that this country is just too nuanced in that sense. But you'd be able to tell me the NRL's Magic Round probably took a few years to sort of build up, but the not AFL really. just not, not really. no the no, AFL well, yeah ground running yeah the AFL absolutely nailed it packed out all across Adelaide. Um, you know Sydney geographically better than me as well, but a lot of people were saying the fact that the women were involved was uh, a, a brilliant initiative that had, that was done better than the other codes, yeah. but it was then to spread across Sydney so it didn't have that carnival atmosphere. Um, yeah. uh, I, w- I wasn't there. It's a great idea. Probably not a success, probably not a total failure. I mean, those little well, silly think, things like we... the Socceroos game, that, that's, a, that's a bungle. But there's a lot to work with. But, yeah, I'm not sure 47,000 and the overlap, uh, which I wasn't aware of, yeah, that, that's, not a, that's not a win. Yeah, and, and look, I think to, to, to sort of end the point, um, you know, it, it was a, a rush job from a previous bungle job. We all know it was make good to Sydney to the New South Wales tourism uh, authorities because of the grand final stuff up. So, um, so we'll give them a pass to a certain extent this year. But guys, um, you know, I think it's a you know like a C plus at best, um, and um, and we'll, be, we'll watch this space. All right, let's um, let's keep this tight, boys, because we haven't got a lot more time. Um, so your top hot topic, and, and we missed this line last week, and it we was. Did running the A-League ladder and uh, and I did flip the coin bef- before you uh, tossed it into the mixer uh, as to, to whether to put this one in. So, uh, yeah, what's your take on this? Yeah, I'm going to have a go at them as well, Rob. The APL back at it with the tinkering and the mucking around and the pulling at the fabric of, of what the league is. So it turns out, and this is a couple of weeks old, but it turns out that there has been a fundamental change to the ladder this season. Goal difference is no longer the first tiebreaker Uh, following points. It is now wins, and that is a strange decision, but one that I can live with. I couldn't live with the grand final decision. I can live with this. But why was it a secret? Baffling. Secret rollout. Clandestine. Quiet. New Year's. 10 rounds in. When Kaiser Chief Italian, a uh, a Wellington Phoenix parody account, if you like, brought this to the attention of the Twitterazzi. Joey Lynch, Simon Hill followed it up. They were unawares, uh, and turns out it is true. So as I say, I don't like it, but it's okay. It's it's strange. Um, so Wellington did actually lead the league um, with six wins over victories five going into the new year. Uh, but again, why why the secrecy, Rob? Well, what was embarrassing was that uh, that Melbourne Victory had put a tweet out saying they were on top of the ladder, um, only for it to be corrected by that very um, Twitter stroke X um, contributor. And uh, you know, so when the clubs don't even know what's going on, yeah, um, you, you, you've got to ask the questions. So, uh, but I uh, understand, and I, I can't verify this for absolute sure, and certain. We must uh, do a little bit of homework on it. But Major League Soccer uses the same system. It's about one of the only competitions in the world that does. All right, let's move on. We haven't got much time, Derek, to give us your, your brief snapshot of uh, of uh, Reading FC and why they're your hot topic of the week. Yeah, sticking in the championship. So uh, there's all sorts wrong at Reading boys. Uh, they're going from bad to worse on and off the pitch. Uh, fans have been protesting for some weeks now at this cash-stricken club 
throwing tennis balls onto the pitch in matches, which has been disrupting and causing delays to games. But this time in their game versus Port Vale at the weekend, as well as the tennis balls, a thousand Reading fans came onto the pitch in the first half, uh, delaying and then postponing the game. Uh, they even got support from the, the travelling Port Vale fans in a in a rare show of solidarity between uh, fans at English football clubs, although the Port Vale fans later chanted, we want our money back when they realised that the game was, uh, was called off. And this does sound like extreme behaviour, but it is extreme times at Reading, uh, such as their poverty at the moment. Uh, they no longer have catering in the ground on match day, which means players are eating microwave meals pre-kickoff. Uh, the staff working in the ground are inside actually the actual stadium are wearing coats because uh, there's no heating uh, being paid for uh, there at the moment too. Um, it's a long fall, on, fall from grace from what was a, a Premier League club. I do remember they were sponsored by a very highbrow supermarket in the UK called Waitrose and uh, even the matches between Fulham and Reading were called El Middle Classico uh, <laughs> at one point. <laughs> but that was very much a high point. Uh, the low point was, um, yeah, what's happening now? And the man at the centre of it is Di Young. Uh, he's not doing anything to sort it out. Wages have not been paid and a widening up order has been served in October over, over unpaid taxes. They've already been deducted 16 points uh, in the championship so far. So far from Waitrose, it's Poundland stuff at Reading at the moment. Uh, sad times. Well, not quite right for an Australian perspective. Memories of Berry FC, sadly, by the sound of this, unfortunately. All right, boys, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Derek, thank you again, mate. No problem. William, stay out of that snow. Will, yes, will do. You did there. That's all right. We'll move on. Play on. Enjoy the Asian Cup. Thank you. I think I was channeling my dad. Thank you very much. And to our good friend Adam Maloney, pressing the buttons, editing this, and making sure all the little seamless bits are synced together so that you get to listen to it without uh, any uh, any speed humps along the way. So please subscribe to Box to Box. Stoppage time and offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on X. Like us on Facebook. And please make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.